politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter for all of humanity. If that is your goal, well, this is your location. This is your landing place because you ain't landing any, anywhere else in this fake, phony conservative industry. Your only source of independent conservative news and views, strategies, advocacy, ideas. We got it all here. Daniel Horowitz back here Thursday uh, in a very, very busy week. How to navigate the Fourth Reich. We've been talking about the Fourth Reich and what we do about it. But first, you have to obviously recognize that we are living through it. This is not your days of Ronald Reagan versus Tip Tip O'Neill. This is not your day of right versus left, conservative versus liberal, what's the size of government. We have a scenario where morality, humanity, legality, and criminality are all turned upside down, inside out, contorted in every way imaginable, where everything is perfectly, perfectly Sodom and Gomorrah. Criminal is victim, regulation is subsidy, subsidy is regulation, Healthcare is poison. Poison is healthcare. Illegal aliens run supreme and get to utilize our courts to prosecute ranchers. Victims are prosecuted. Everything is upside down, inside out. And we're going to talk about this underlying theme of everything being backwards. How they will use the very same principles that they... Um, posit in order to advocate for A, they'll violate it 180 degrees to do B. But it's not a contradiction. It's the Fourth Reich. Either way, you win, they lose. They achieve their objectives. So we're going to develop this on some of the news of the day. We'll have a special guest coming up at the end. First, folks, again, we're very excited. Those of you who never met me or anyone else in this audience, um, now's your chance. April 23rd, I will be at the inaugural Patriot Academy Constitutional Defensive Handgun Training with Rick Green and the boys um, in Fredericksburg, Texas. They now have the five-day handgun course on their own campus. So those of you, and many of you are from Texas, again, it's a easy drive. For those of you flying in, you probably fly into the San Antonio airport we spend five days it's a $2,500 course that they offer for $500 um, you will learn how to draw from a holster you'll learn how to clear malfunctions you'll learn shooting drills to deal with an active defensive situation we'll laugh together we'll strategize together we'll pray together we'll have so much fun patriotacademy.com slash daniel is your source of information here um, those of you who have any questions, you can email me, Daniel Horowitz at uh, startmail.com, or you could email defense at patriotacademy.com if you have questions about accommodations, about um, you know renting a, a gun or, or ammo, things like that. Folks, now is the time to sign up. And by the way, they're going to have these courses throughout the spring. 
Um, Because now that they have their own campus, we don't have to only do this two or three times a year. They're going to have them almost every week. Just realize as it gets hotter in the Texas uh, summer heat, it's going to be tough. So April should be pretty nice. And you'll get to meet me. I'm not going to obviously turn out at each one of these events, but once in a while I'm going to go. And and we're definitely going to be there for the inaugural event now more than ever, with all of the criminals being let out, now is the time to learn how to defend yourself. So again, go to patriotacademy.com slash Daniel to register today. So folks, I, I was on a radio show last night in Chicago, and I was asked by the host, you know, why not secession? Shouldn't we just secede? And you know what I told him? I was like, hey, I'm all for that. I mean, we have passed that threshold of 1776 a million times over. The evil that they are perpetrating upon us. The, 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 the Revolutionary War is almost ridiculous when you, when you read about it. What we were fighting over compared to what we're dealing with today. But I said, the problem is... I said, what I'm not doing is mutually exclusive to secession. The only way you're going to get it is by following our path of actually, rather than focusing solely on national politics, the D.C. soap opera, this news story, that news story, making your own so-called red county and state red again, patrolling, monitoring, agitating in your red area to make sure the values comport with it, and then perhaps we could talk about seceding. But right now, there's nothing to secede from. Or, or I'm sorry, there's nothing to secede with. What are you going to secede with? Which governor? Aside from the Florida governor. That's one state. Name me one other state where the state government's anywhere near conservative on any issue. So that's the thing. A lot of people think, Daniel, do you believe it there? Should, should DeSantis be president? Should Trump be president? Should um, this guy be majority leader? Should we have national divorce, like you press a button, national divorce? Or should we do secession, like you press a button? We don't have the ability to do anything. Okay, we're, we're coming decades into a uniparty false flag controlled opposition that wasn't just feckless but was strategically designed to unnaturally deliver our forces into the hands of the globalists and the evildoers in a way that you know typically natural opposition would have arisen but they perfectly and they still do it to this day make sure it doesn't so there's no shortcut you have to emphatically make the areas where the majority of people broadly agree with us, the governing philosophy and the culture <clears throat> in accordance with that those people, the way San Francisco is governed in accordance with the views of the majority of the people there. That's the first step. There's no shortcut. What happens then if we succeed? You have 10 DeSantis's one day, different parts of the country, you have it in a contiguous area, let's just say, make it up, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, all right, well, maybe we could talk about that, then maybe that will make sense, or maybe that will perhaps service such a strong control group and the rest of the country will demand something similar, maybe we could change the federal government, but as it stands now, we can't. Meaning, it's not just that this is the only solution, but any other solution runs through the same thing. Making red states red again, state legislatures great again, 
focusing on that. Again, join one of our ConAction teams, conaction.network, to sign up. Um, and if you want to be a team leader, email me, danielhorowitz at startmail.com. And let me just give you an example of this, how it's not just the Democrats, but the rhinos are fully into this perverse upside down. Again, everything is backwards. Morality, legality, fundamental rights. It's not just that we don't respect them. No. No. What When they want to achieve something, they will violate our autonomy to the nth degree. But then when it's the other way around, they'll go in the other direction. You know, Mike Pence attacked DeSantis yesterday saying, I don't like what he did with Disney there. That's not limited government conservatism. So let me get this straight. Mike Pence believes that it's in line with limited government to lock you down, shut your business, school, and church, criminalize your breathing, force a poison on you that was subsidized, marketed, and absolved of liability, yet it's not limited government to take away corporate subsidies and special land autonomy treatment. That's how perverted these knuckleheads are. Mike Pence is the type of guy, and we're, we're finding this problem in all these legislatures. So the same guys that literally catalyzed and embedded the biomedical surveillance state into the so-called private sector, it, it wouldn't have happened without then. The shutdown, the masking, the testing, the vaccine mandates. Then when we want to flush it out, they're like, you can't tell a business what to do. After they started it by saying that they must do this. This is the sick perversion of these rhinos. And I want to give you an example here in Wyoming. And again, you're going to see, you know, wh where would you want to have secession? Well, Wyoming, you know, it, it, it uh, by I think by any measure, has voted by the largest margin consistently for the Republican nominee for president. Okay, I mean, it's not the only measure, but it's a pretty big measure of what's a red state. Well... Just how much of a mismatch is there in that state between the people and the elected officials? You now have a scenario where the majority of Republicans in the legislature, they believe that you can mask and groom the kids. Mask and groom. They don't want to end mask mandates, preclude that from ever happening, and they shoot down bills on porn in the libraries, Bills ending grooming of kids in kindergarten. And they believe you have a constitutional right to cut your balls off, to access services, to make them available, to castrate you. But you don't have constitutional rights, medical autonomy, healthcare freedom, to just be free from being experimented upon, being foisted upon with a... Uh, um, experimental, dangerous gene therapy, or covering your breathing holes. So more on that in a minute. And by the way, very apropos for today, um, youth switch. Okay, a lot of people are damaged by the shots, by long COVID, both bioweapons, um, and in general. I mean, we, we, we've been talking about different ways to deal with your health, take your health in your own hands, Um one product that really has a lot of promise in expend, extending your lifespan, feeling younger, 
um, really improving your immune system is Youth Switch. It's an all-natural, doctor-approved, manufactured right here in America. It has a blend of potent uh, adaptogens that promote healthier telomeres. Telomeres are those ends of the chromosomes that kind of get deleted and worn out through um, transcription over time as you get older it's a big part of what depletes your immune system. The spike protein has actually been proven to really screw that up. You could just Google it, telomeres and SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, big, big problem. Um, so if you go and sign up today at youthswitchmd, youthswitchmd.com slash conservative, not only could you order your youth switch, but you get for yourself five other free products, a free bottle of Ageless Brain, um, a great bonus product that improves your focus, memory, and mood. Also, four uh, ebooks that boost every aspect of your health and longevity. Really looking at this holistically. So again, to claim your um, youth switch along with the five bonus gifts, go go to youthswitchmd.com/conservative. So in Wyoming, you had Senate File One Seventeen, the Parental Rights in Education Act. Basically modeled after the Florida bill. Florida, they plan on expanding it to all grades. Um, but this was only through third grade. You cannot teach the homosexual agenda, and not just the all sexuality, to K through three. Okay? We're not asking for much. And it passed out of the Senate Education Committee 4 to 1. It passed the more liberal, typically more liberal, Senate 18 to 12. Remember, there's only two Democrats. So we got 10 Republicans vote against it, but we still got to pass. Okay, 18 to 12. But the rhino dirtbag, we call him San Fran Summers. Albert Summers. Literally, he's not a moderate. He's not a liberal. He's a Fourth Reich San Francisco transhumanist nut. He's the speaker of the Wyoming House. He held the bill at his desk. What it means to hold it, the speaker could hold it, that it doesn't even get assigned to a, a committee. So it passed the Senate, he was holding it for almost a month. So once again, our, our good friend, freshman Jeanette Ward from Casper, again, someone who moved from Illinois, injecting that vigor from someone who fled from a blue state and then comes to a red state and it's not red. So she she basically forced a vote on, on a, to suspend the rules that would force, you know, force it out of the speaker's desk onto committee and it failed 34 to 27 <laughs> so we couldn't even get past the house of wyoming the house of wyoming 34 to 27 so basically half the republicans and then the five democrats to end grooming again these are the same Members that just voted against banning masks in school. Groom and mask. Or mask and groom. I mean, could you think of anything that perverse? You don't have the right to breathe. But public school teachers have the right, and administrators, to forcibly mask your kids and groom them. And they literally believe this. You listen to them like, butt out. Who are you to tell the teachers what to do? So so government-paid school teachers have an unalienable right to teach transgenderism, right? But you don't have parental rights. You don't have the right to breathe. But it gets worse. 
Senate File 144. This was a bill similar to every other state banning castration for minors. And even in other rhino chambers, this much were at least getting passed. So once again, it you know sailed through the Senate, sailed through the committee unanimously, passed the Senate 26 to 5. So we lost, I guess, three Republicans, but almost party line. Pretty good. We thought, all right, we're making some approval. Well, San Fran Summers comes back and holds the bill in the House. Finally, under pressure, he routes it to the Appropriations Committee. Now, you'd think, well, you're dealing with, you're banning castration in the hospitals. It would be labor and health, health care, right? Why appropriations? Well, because that's where it had the most rhinos. And it was defeated five to two. So we can't even pass banning castration in Wyoming. The chairman, Bob Nicholas, and this is what I wanted to get to with how the legality, morality, um, humanity, justice, is, is a, and, and fundamental rights are flipped upside down. Nicholas, and this is what they do. He said in the committee hearing, this bill is unconstitutional. The Wyoming Constitution grants people a right to healthcare autonomy. And like, I was reading this and I was like, wait a minute, let me double check the roll call votes. Didn't this piece of fecal matter, okay, Bob Nicholas from Cheyenne, if you want to look him up, didn't he just vote for mask and vaccine mandates on your body? And I looked up and indeed he did. He also voted against the bill to um, bar any CDC and WHO public health mandates on Wyoming residents. And lo and behold, that's what it was. So you have the right to access castration services but not freedom from someone else forcibly injecting experimental products into your body and covering your breathing holes. Remember, a fundamental right is a freedom from, not a right to access something. Even if it were a sane procedure. And obviously, if you look up in the Constitution there, Article 1, Section 38 of the state's Constitution, it does talk about the right of a person to make his own healthcare decisions. It literally does say it there. Yet it was never applied because here's the funny thing there's a clause there that the legislature can determine reasonable and necessary restrictions on that right reasonable and necessary so they believe that forcing you to wear a mask and get mrna even after it's proven to be death all pain and no gain that's necessary and reasonable but banning castration of minors is not necessary and reasonable. I don't know. Again, you cannot bridge that divide, which is why we need national re- divorce. The problem is people on that side of the divorce are running the red states too. So until we root that out, you ain't getting, um, you know, your national divorce, much less uh, secession. It's just not happening, which is why, again, I mean, there's no shortcut to doing this. And then there's another perversion. Oh, and by, by, by the way, you know, South Carolina House, we can't get a single thing on medical freedom pass, just like in West Virginia. They, the House just passed constitutional carry. Again, it's, it's, it's fascinating that when it comes to abortion and guns, these same guys, they'll be transhumanists, leftists, those two issues you'll get because we created an expectation and a movement behind that. 
until and unless we create that movement in red states on the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter, we're screwed. And I want to get a little bit to the justice system, crime and legality and guns and how you know that ties in again as, as guns really are not the issue of our time. Um, first, I just want to, uh, again, you know, the theme today is taking care of your own health, just like taking care of your own self-defense with the Patriot Academy course, Jace, Jace case, Jace Medical, um, Jace Medical, they are now offering, uh, a Jace case of five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. Well, why do you need that? I'll just go to the doctor, get a prescription. Well, we have forthright doctors and even worse pharmacists now, and then you have the shortage suddenly strategically going on. Um, the U.S. relies on overseas for, I believe, 18 out of the 21 most important antibiotics. Um, and also 72% of its active uh, precursors and ingredients. So this is a big problem. You need to stock up while you can. Um, so you'll have it out for you. You go to jacemedical.com, enter review at checkout. For, for our promo code to get off uh, the price, and then you fill out this online form. Um, once in a while, they might call you if they have questions because they have to write a prescription so it's legal, and then you have it on hand. And by the way, you know, th there, there is an increasing debate about, you know, who knows what's good from pharma anymore, what is and what isn't. You know, not all antibiotics are what they're chalked up to be, but, you know, I think everyone agrees what I've seen azithromycin and doxycycline are some of the best proven safe and effective if you want to use them as opposed to some of the others. So those two I know are included in the case. So go to jacemedical.com, enter code review. So, folks, Frederick Douglass said um, in 1867, a man's rights rest in three boxes, the ballot box, the jury box, and the cartridge box. And you know what I'm going to say about that already because I've said it before. That's an obsolete. We don't have any of them anymore. Now, we we have one of the three. We have the cartridge box, although sometimes it gets expensive, but the prices have gone down with ammo. But as I've said before, I mean, it's it's worthless. I mean, you literally, we, we were beaten to the ground to wear a mask and get a jab while we had the greatest right to carry rights we've ever had. Okay, it's just, you know, um, the bottom line is guns can protect us against street thugs, but they can't protect us against government thugs. The FBI, viruses, self-spreading vaccines, chemical explosions, whatever else they're doing. And even when it comes to thugs, you might be able to protect yourself at the moment, but what about the legal system? So the other ones were the jury box and the ballot box. Well, the ballot box, we know that's taken away, not just because of the problems with election integrity, but as we noted, we're disenfranchised because what are you going to vote for? Oh, I'll go to Wyoming and vote Republican. Yeah, and you get the same thing as San Francisco minus you know guns and abortion. Then there's the jury box. But now, if you're in a blue jurisdiction, you cannot get a fair trial. I've mentioned this before when we're talking about this perversion. This case of George Allen Kelly, the rancher that's being charged with first-degree murder, and now he's being charged with two counts of aggravated assault for pointing his weapon allegedly at two other cartel traffickers. Um, 
In many respects, this story, and we'll see, we're have, finally having a preliminary hearing on evidence on Friday, so we'll, we'll see what happens nearly a month after being held without even a statement of probable cause. So, what do we know? The government agrees, and the, the county, this is Santa Cruz County, Nogales, it's the bluest county in Arizona, the prosecutor, the sheriff, um, corrupt as anything, uh, they're probably in bed with the cartels. This is the same sheriff who literally said there's no invasion at the border and he's going to prosecute those who arrest those who go and try to erect their own border fencing or whatever. Um, reeks of cartel corruption. So imagine you're living, you're, you're a 74-year-old man living alone with your wife, Wanda, um, at the border. Okay, this is the worst part of the border. Blue County, so you have no protection. Nogales probably is the biggest drug smuggling corridor. If not human smuggling, definitely drug smuggling. Um, Nogales corridor, right there, right where his ranch is. You have eight backpackers come. He alleges they were armed and threatening him. The county, the prosecutor says not. But what we do know is you had eight backpackers. These are the people that are poisoning us. We know they're cartel traffickers. We know the person who was shot was prosecuted in America for, you know, illegal reentry and reentered a number of times. And we know that George Allen Kelly is 74 years old and has no criminal record to speak of. We know that they were there. So it's not like he just grabbed an illegal, you know, decided to kill him out of nowhere completely out of nowhere. They say it's out of nowhere, but you'll see in a minute, and hit his body and then called it in. He called in twice. He called in and said, I have people on my ranch. Shots were fired. His wife vouched for it. They came and they found nothing there. They found no one there. Then later on, he discovers a body and he calls it in. They claim that he just chased after them and needlessly shot this guy in the back. They have no evidence. They have no ballistics. How long does it take to get ballistics? Nothing. No evidence. They can't even say, oh, the, it's from this rifle you had. This AK-47. No. So the government agrees to the foundation of his story. They just say it wasn't self-defense. You weren't threatened. You were threatening them. But at a baseline, if you're on a ranch with a dangerous invasion and they come on your property... It's got to be a pretty hard threshold of evidence to right off the bat charge someone with murder one. My view personally is I don't care, even if he didn't need to do it. To me, that's an invasion and you have the right to shoot them. You know, whether he should have or not, different story. I don't think when our government does this, you have the right, you forfeit that right. If you don't stop the invasion, the ranchers have the right too. So let me make that clear, even if that is the story. It's not like he just randomly grabbed them. They were When you have eight belligerents from a cartel, it's easy to say, oh, they're not going to threaten you. But the point is, his side of the story is more probable than theirs at this point. So what are they doing? They're drinking out of the hands of the cartel. Their witnesses are... Are the traffickers, imagine this, and they're like, and they ran back behind the border, they were doing nothing wrong, wait, wait, what do you mean? I'm not saying they deserve to die, although I kind of don't care, but at a minimum, they weren't. 
They were invading our country. They weren't doing anything wrong. Prima facie, they're horrible criminals trafficking the stuff that's killing, you know, 100,000 Americans a year. And prima facie, this guy was a rancher defending his property, no criminal record. And yet, we don't know all the details yet. But what I can say is what was done so far is upside down, inside out. He is being presumed, and there's one thing you presume, like, you charge on negligent homicide, that there wasn't a need for it, but murder one. And they're getting all of their, their, their only evidence, they have no evidence, their only thing is the testimony of the cartel themselves. So they have no statement of narrative, and then yesterday, after three and a half weeks, they suddenly come out, Oh, we have more witnesses. But they're not witnesses. It's not like there's like a fellow American rancher or something. It's the it's the cartel runners. They admit there were eight of them. The government admits there were eight of them on the on the on the property. A world upside down. This story story emblematizes, encapsulates the rape of the forgotten American more than anything. That they could invade plead victim, and prosecute the ranches they trod upon. And by the way, there's no doubt that they're getting U visas. So think about this. He doesn't get to see his accusers, and no, there's no transparency of how they're collecting this, this testimony. You know what happens? They give them U visas. If you're an illegal alien, there's so much corruption. The U visas, you know, we've been talking about that for years, needs to be abolished. They get to assert they're a victim, and they get to stay in the country. They get to come here. I mean, I mean, think about this. They invade our country, terrorize our land, smuggle in drugs, empower the most dangerous cartels that are a greater national security threat than anything else. And they get to say we're the victims, remain in the country, get funded, and then you could just lie your way into prosecuting this guy. I don't know what did happen, but what, what here's what I can assert. There is no evidence to arrest this guy yet on anything, much less murder one. Meaning it's not it's just like you have to have probable cause. The probable cause is actually more in his direction than the cartel's direction. But my conjecture of putting this all together is, because the big question is this, how did a body get on his lawn? Everyone agrees that you had people coming in a part of his ranch, but then there's a random body. I say, well, Daniel, he shot the guy and then dragged the body somewhere. Yeah, but here's the problem with that. He called it in both times, and the first time is when the, the police and the Border Patrol didn't find anything. They didn't find it. They searched. See, if he, how, why would he call them in th thinking that they could catch the body? They, you know, Once you call them in, they'll search where they want to search. How did they not find anything? And only afterwards they found it. The second time. Well, Daniel, maybe he killed him later. No, but but that's not their allegation. They they finally put out a statement on you know in, in not put out a statement publicly, but in court the uh, uh uh you know deputy whatever prosecutor was asserting exactly what they feel happened in their view. That no, it was at the time of the first call when they were there that they were running away from him and he shot one guy in the back. So then how did they not see the body when they came? 
So putting it together, the best I can see, and I'm just going to say this is just speculation, this almost looks like the cartel is laying claim to a smuggling route. They want to get him out of there. And they 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 um premeditated this, killed someone, put the body there. And they have this the, the prosecution's eating out of their hands. Now I just before we go on to our guest, I just want to say as I'm reading this to you. So you might think, man, we're we're just very strict. If you're caught shooting someone under any circumstance, this is like Singapore. No. This is from Houston. This happens in red states. James Sotelo, 20 years old, was out on bond when police say he killed Corey Thompson. Um, Sotelo shot a guy, but he survived. Um, and then they lowered his bond to 100000 He walked out of jail. One-tenth of this guy's bond, by the way. While he's out on bond for murder and aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, he picks up an unlawfully carrying... A weapon, uh, weapons gun charge in Montgomery County, so he had that too, and um, and murder someone, and this is happening again and again in red states, but especially in Houston, a world upside down. And then I want to share one more story with you, and this is a good segue into our guest. So. One of the things we've been pointing out with the rise of the Fourth Reich is that each element of the biomedical security, surveillance, and terrorism state has not only not been repudiated and deracinated from our body politic and our law, they're quietly expanding each one of them. The gain of function to create the viruses, the vaccines, um, the surveillance, the restrictions, but also, what was the other big element that we point to in our book, The Rise of the Fourth Reich? What was the other big element? The blocking of humane treatment. So again, you might think, man, you know, these guys are just, they don't care about safety data. I mean, they, these guys are just going to, they're going to give the green light to whatever you want. No, they'll only give the green light to the therapeutics that are deadly and are mandated, and are absolved of liability. But the ones that might actually help you, and no matter what, are definitely safe, and even if they're not, they're actually on the hook for liability, they're going to seek to ban it. So, you know, we haven't focused as much on the stories as well as the legislation to deal with, you know, COVID treatment, because thank God, for better or for worse, most people already had it, and, you know, what's circulating now is not really deadly, so it's not as much of an imminent concern. But in the long run, this is a big problem because they will foist things upon us. And you do need access to life-saving health care, and they're blocking it. We pointed this out before, but for those of you who didn't hear what I mentioned a few months ago, Just the News has an article out today. Doctors are speaking out against a new law that arguably paves the way for the FDA to prohibit treatments for purposes it hasn't expressly authorized. So going far beyond highly politicized subjects such as treating COVID-19 for ivermectin, the authority to ban off-label uses was buried on page 3,542 of the 4155-page omnibus bill passed by Mitch McConnell and 
it basically has in there a provision that appears to allow the FDA to ban off-label use. I, I, you cannot imagine the degree of genocide that will cause. Again, this is there's no good explanation. And, and mind you, literally to this day, the FDA printed a label that is false for commodity, for the commodity vaccine, right? You know, the other ones are still emergency use, so they don't have a label. And that in itself is thing. They don't even, <laughs> what's greater off label than something that is emergency and not given a label, but still absolved of liability and still mandated upon you and marketed and funded up the wazoo and advertised too. Paxlovid, they're having advertisements, emergency use. Isn't that sick and perverted? But here's the thing for community, which is not available, they have a label and the label I don't have the wording in front of me, but you can Google it. FDA community label. You'll, you'll find it right there. And look at like, you know, first page indication. And it's written the same way a fully sterilizing vaccine is to prevent SARS-CoV-2, whatever. And even they admit, I mean, there's nobody who doesn't, that it doesn't stop infection. Okay, they, they claim it could possibly ameliorate serious, you know, harm which of course is not true. It actually accelerates and exacerbates it. But the point is, they agree. According to them, they are false advertising. A deadly product that they admit that much is false, that it doesn't stop infection. Yet they want to ban long-standing safe FDA-approved drugs to be used if they don't like it. Again, th there's no way around it. This is very much in line with the theme, and this is why we need to raise awareness of this. We need to raise awareness of this issue. It is such a big, big problem. Such a big problem. So anyway, folks, the theme today is the Fourth Reich, everything topsy-turvy, everything upside down, inside out, morality up and down, a hero is a villain, a villain's a hero, an experiment is proven, something proven is an experiment, life-saving drugs are poison, poison are life-saving drugs, a world that is so, you know, it used to be absurd, but we laughed at it, now it's deadly, deadly serious. What do we do when we have this spirit that has taken over, see, not just the government, it's one thing to say, okay, the governing elites are evil. But what happens when that sentiment trickles down to the entirety of the medical profession where they're either, most of them are doing it or the rest are because of the, um, the, the group thing, but also the pressure and the threats and the censorship and the reprisals, they're silent. Dead silent. Again, does, does that sound very similar? Well, that's a big theme of our book. Uh, that's why a lot of our testimony is about what happened in hospitals. Did the government directly mandate that? No, not really. It's not directly from the, the, the government. Um, it was a spirit that trickled down into them. And there's one doctor, you know, we brought to you a lot of heroic doctors the last couple of years. One I've worked with before, and, you know, some of you might have heard of him. I haven't had him on yet. Is Dr. John Littell. He's uh, been a board-certified family physician in, uh, in Central Florida really for decades. 
And he yesterday, and, and by the way, he was you know behind so much of the early treatment. And he's unique in the sense that he treated people outpatient, but he actually did cycle in and out of hospitals. So he saw what was going on on the inside and treating on the outside at the same time, really at a front seat to this, um, would give his shirt off the back for any patient. Literally, this is the type of man that should be, you know, in in the governor's mansion of every governor, every Republican governor. What did he do? What could we do? What needs to be done? Instead, there, there was a story that, that happened earlier this week, and I, I just – I've been meaning to talk about this, but I figured we'll just get him on, and he's here with us now, is at the Sarasota Memorial Hospital – they had this public board meeting about, you know, what went right or wrong during COVID. And they stacked the meeting strategically with people. I would say, oh, the hospital's amazing. And by one of the members invited uh, Dr. Latell to come and give his side of the story. And he was only allowed to speak for two minutes. He was shut up. And then he was seen being muscled out of the room by cops. And I was watching it. And the story in itself is not that spectacular, but it was such a perfect imagery for what is happening in America and the rise of the Fourth Reich, that the heroic doctors, that all they care about is saving lives, they're treated like trash. And yet the ones that literally would look at a patient, do illegal DNRs, contraindications, taking someone in respiratory distress and putting on them, you know, opioids and, and, and anti-anxieties that, that slow your breathing, would refuse anti-inflammatories and, and, and steroids that were known to work, to this day push remdesivir, to this day will take a patient that is in heart failure and say, get another dose of the gene juice that everyone agrees causes heart problems. They'll look at you and prescribe Paxlovid up the wazoo. It's, it's a new drug that has 30 contraindications, but known drugs that they know at a minimum have no problem. You're an animal. I'll go after you if you use it. It's the spirit of Amalek that has just consumed these people. So again, John is with us today to talk about what happened here and just his broader view. Uh, Dr. John, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, great, great to be with you, Dan. What a great intro to what I have been seeing in the world, uh, in my beloved medical profession for decades now. And COVID was just, the, honestly, the tip of the iceberg. Uh, it, it's this that has been going on. We could talk for hours. But yeah, what happened and what I've seen in and out of COVID units uh, these last three years uh, is worthy of its own book. And definitely thank you for letting me share what's, what I've been seeing, what I tried to share in Sarasota just a couple of days ago. Sure, sure. So, um, just real briefly, what was what what happened at that meeting? I, I've never heard of a public meeting on COVID response because no, normally, uh, you know, they they don't think they did anything wrong, so they don't even broach it. So, what happened here at Sarasota Memorial? Well, essentially, they were fortunate in that they can elect. It's a publicly elected board. Uh, often board members are appointed. Larger hospitals with which I'm affiliated have appointed board members, usually people in the community that are like the head of the electric company or the head of the college or and, and you know, prominent people. Well, in this case, you could actually appoint a, a vote. And they had a, a groundswell which brought in three board members, three of the nine. They needed five to really tilt it. But anyway, they got three sympathetic board members, sympathetic to the plight of the patients who had been dying in the COVID units and their family members. So um, 
that prompted a community investigation and led to these meetings. And this particular meeting I'd been invited to come to, uh, I finally had to just cancel out uh, my slate of patients. I apologized to my patients. I rescheduled them for a day that you know later. And I said, I'm going to drive down to Sarasota because uh, I'm the only doctor uh, that was going to be there other than their own employed or uh, contracted doctors that could really speak independently on behalf of, of these patients. And I, I don't really fear any retribution because I've already been disciplined so many times in the last three years and I'm still standing uh, for, for fighting for the rights of my patients. Um, and ultimately what happened down there was I got my two and a half minutes. And frankly, if you watch the video, I, I congratulated Sarasota Memorial for being a fine hospital in most respects, better than most in the state of Florida. But um, I did take them to task for what they did with COVID patients. And when they try, I tried to share the stories, uh, I was then, of course, silenced after that three, two and a half minutes, as it turned out. And um, the really what made the really made it take off is that just before I had to leave to drive the three hours back to Ocala, I uh, there was one sympathetic board member at the end of the table. And I decided to walk over to her, whispered to her, you know, didn't disrupt anything. At least I thought I didn't. And said, I'm sorry, I can't stay, but I wish I could have spoken longer. Please contact me because I knew I was going to be driving back to Ocala. I was then tapped on the shoulder by a, a cop, you know, lady, lady officer and um, asked to leave. I thought she meant to go back to my seat. And when they weren't even let me go get my bag, when I went up to get my bag, I insisted on that. The other strong arm, the big, big wrestling kind of guy looked, came down. And that's when I had to stop just for a second. And I, and I did speak out of turn. I said, folks. I have this white coat on. It has my name on it. It is not the hospital's name. I'm not hospital employed. I'm not an independent. Co- I'm not contracted with the hospital. I'm an, I'm a an independent voice speaking on behalf of patients. And I, then I was escorted not only out of the room but out of the entire hospital building and off the hospital premises and grounds on, onto a street sidewalk. So it was kind of kind of a strange feeling, to be honest with you. Yup. Yeah. I mean, that's what America thinks of doctors that that think. For themselves and their entire motivation is better outcomes for individuals and patients so could you share with us a little bit of what you wanted to say to kind of sum up and i know it's hard to do this in just a few minutes to sum up where we are because because my concern is just just to frame this is that you know we're focusing a lot on the vaccine because that's a live fire ball right it's still being pushed it's dangerous people need treatment whatever but the the covid treatment you know thank god i mean covid has died down so we're not so into that but my point is and why we wrote our book is how do you walk away from this knowing that this is what hospitals do now how do we walk away from this without rectifying it well you know dan you know you have there's about half a dozen separate issues all right that we could spend an hour on. one would be the forced masking of not only patients but doctors and nurses um, with no good reasons, the forced vaccinations of everybody, and the fact that I, who was never vaxxed, would be, was treated as a second-class citizen or worse, who are unvaxxed to this day are, all right? And then you have the quarantining and the isolation, and then you have the administration of remedies, which we knew were not safe, and the refusal of medications, which we knew would help them, and keeping them out of the hospital. All of those were horrendous atrocities, essentially, committed by the hospital's and then the worst of all, as I said just yesterday, uh, was the fact that these patients were abandoned and that they had no, no um, uh, advocates, 
that I, as a doctor, I was asked as an independent family physician on multiple occasions to go around on patients who were trapped in their COVID quarantined rooms, unable to see any family members. And mm-hmm. so I'd get a call from someone in the community say, would you please check on my husband, my father, my son, my daughter? In one case, it was an 18-year-old girl whose family members could not see her. All right. And these were not my patients, mind you. I was going, I had privileges in the hospital, so I could. And they, and they said, put Dr. Littell on the case. I had pulmonary doctors walk, threaten to walk off the case if I showed up as a consultant. Here's the strange dynamic in the hospital, Dan. They were, I'd walk in, I'd have nurses, respiratory therapists come up to me and say, thank you for coming and seeing this patient. But the majority, it seemed, would turn their backs on me and, and really look at me with disdain and say, what do you have to offer that we have not already done in this hospital? And of course, I said to them, right now, I'm just offering a presence. I'm just being there for the patient. I'm walking in, I'm holding their hand, I'm praying with them, and I'm doing what their family members wish they could do for them, which is give them hope. And that was not what these hospitals were doing. They were not giving hope. And as I've said many times, there's no healing without hope. So it was a, it was a, a horrible situation for those patients. And to this day, patients are still being isolated and quarantined that are testing positive for COVID. It's uh, it's it goes against the Hippocratic Oath to abandon patients when they're their sickest. And that's exactly what the medical profession did in during COVID. Well, they didn't uh, just abandon Delta. them. They, they, they viciously blocked them from doing any alternatives. All right, so you don't want to treat, you don't want to have a nurse go in there. Um, you know, and then you had the starvation and the lack of hydration, um, which was which was a big deal. Obviously, the choice of therapeutics that they used juxtaposed to the ones that they wouldn't, you know, and not just wouldn't, but would would actively block viciously from doing. And, and we've gone through a lot of that. But the question I get asked from everyone, you know, and 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 we try to bring this out in the book the, to draw the parallels of a darker time in history that we're now repeating with a violation of Nuremberg and, you know, basically subsuming individual rights and individual care to public health nationalism is, Daniel, how does this trickle down to every floor doctor? So, like, you know, everyone always talked about the 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 financial incentives for the remdesivir ventilator pathway. And I understand, again, that the governmental level, I understand that at the you know, top hospital executive level, but the floor doctors, they would do things that a layman would know is not right, is not right. They, they would know, like, for example, one of the big things, and I'm sure you saw this, the, um, the prejudgments, the, 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 the alacrity through which they would ventilate people, that they'd have maybe mild hy- hypoxia, um, and you know once they get on that thing, it's very slim chance they get off, so you don't you would only do it if you really feel like yeah you need to and they would do it at stages that were like you got to be kidding me um this is totally salvageable how could they think this was okay hmm. Well Dan I was in those ICUs and um that which was really unca- also unusual for a primary care doctor to make ICU rounds but I always insisted on having the right to do that and thank God the hospitals have not taken away my rights around all my patients in the intensive care units um, and I pushed many of them to stay on the BiPAP. Of course, let's face it, the vast majority of my patients never went to the hospital. I arranged for them to get home oxygen uh, in their homes if they needed it. 
the overwhelming majority never needed to get in the hospital. These, you're talking about the few that never contacted me for early treatment. Yeah. And then we're trying to really get them out of the hospital. We could not give them... Uh, the hospitals at one point said, if you want I- ivermectin for your patients, they have to be in the critical care unit to be eligible for it. That was the official policy of one of the major hospitals in the country. You know, in other words, do not give it to them early. Wait for them to be on the vent or, or nearly on the yeah. vent. So you're, you're missing days. So no, we, we, I, I, let me share this real quick if I have time. Uh, I was chief of staff for several years at a very large hospital here in Florida that's actually national. And um, they, they had a, a, a big thrust for several years on something called the patient's experience. And, and they would talk to us doctors about how much we needed to identify with our patients who were suffering in their beds. This was, this was like 10 years ago. And, and, they, and they actually told us, you need to sit, please sit on the bed of the patient, hold their hand, look at them in the eye. And, 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 and they, they actually had to teach doctors how to do this. All right. Now, that's obviously not my case because that's how I learned to be a doctor. It's, what it, it's kind of innate. But that said, with COVID, you saw a complete 180. All of a sudden, you had these same hospitals, the same hospital system saying to their hospital doctors, you don't even have to round on your COVID patients. You can just use your smartphones and just ask how they're doing. And, and so this, this was an official policy adopted by the hospitals to say you can now abandon your patients because now they're on COVID units. I made the comment at the meeting of the day, my very first patients were HIV positive in a time when we knew nothing about AIDS mm. in 1984. And, and, and I said at that meeting, then... And also when I took care of, of Haitian immigrants on Guantanamo Bay and we set up malaria tents and TB tents and HIV tents and, and, and arrest. And, and I said, though, my experiences with patients who were infectious, we, we displayed more compassion and, and common sense in, in those days than we ever did with our COVID patients. We did no service to them. We did incredible disservice to them by abandoning them completely. We never yeah. did that with HIV patients. Even though we had no idea what was going on, so how we were able to get away with it with COVID nineteen, and then of course you, you mentioned the, the use of the remdesivir and the ventilator. Uh, you know, this uh, I, I said to you earlier, Dan. You know, the only doctor I could talk to when I was taking care of the critical ill patients that I had in the entire country that was taking care of hospitalized patients was Pierre Corey, who's who, another Long Island boy like me. Although he, although he's a Yankees fan, he's a dear friend, and. You know, I'll tell you what, Pierre and I are, are like soulmates, and I, I would call him, and then he gets thrown out of the hospitals because of his, his stand on the vaccines. So I ended up being like the lone, lone man standing on, on, and going in out of these hospitals, yep. taking care of hospital patients. And it was not, not an easy road to hold, but, hey, I could care less about myself. It's all the patients I couldn't get to, all the people who said, please help my loved one, and they would not allow me to care for them and not, not allowed to, to provide I had to sneak ivermectin in in a couple of cases. I got disciplined for that, too, more than once. I give it to the wife who stayed with the husband, and she got, he got home. He got home. He got home, and, and, and we lived through that. And what I'm seeing is that was a paradigm shift. I am seeing that this is now the new normal in a lot of places outside of COVID in general. Their regard for patients, their regard for trying to work an individual case, um, to try to think of what would save save that individual's life. It's almost like some of them want people to die. I don't understand it, but it has permeated the medical profession just like the Third Reich did, and it is unbelievable how we are allowing this to go on. Um, I would love to revisit with you because we're at a time here. Um, 
but but definitely definitely keep us updated we need you to make florida better at a policy level florida's getting better but you know the hospitals are still like they are everywhere else and and culturally we got to find a way to do better to create some sort of parallel system um because we, ha- we have yeah. to stop protecting the hospitals um from legal action i listen the last thing you and i want is to pad the pocket of yes. the trial lawyers and the malpractice attorneys We've got to come up with a solution that doesn't get Morgan and Morgan richer in Florida because they're the ones who are then funneling the yeah. money right back to the people who are controlling uh, what's going on in Big Pharma and the or, or you start threatening industry. the tax-exempt status. I mean, you can't have it both ways. You can't be the public service tax-exempt and then do everything that they're doing. You know, something's got to give there, and definitely we need to revisit this. Uh, John, thanks for your godly work, for standing up when it wasn't popular and still not so popular, but, uh, you know, you will shine to the top. We're going to certainly need you in our parallel uh, market and economy and, and healthcare system that we're going to build. God bless you, and thank you for your work. Thank you. God bless you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here for you. God bless. Take, Take care. care. So again, folks, I mean, that interview is exactly, exactly the message we're trying to get out with the Fourth Reich. I mean, that is the mentality that has seeped in. What are we going to do about it? And, and remember, this is in Florida. This is in Florida. Um, you know, you see how entrenched this is. It's, it's not like we, we think, oh, this is a San Francisco problem. No, it's all 50 states. You have one governor that came in in one state that's gradually, you know, making things better. Um, but, you know, you could change policies, but the profession is the way it is. So, again, until we culturally and politically change red states – There's nothing to secede with, but this is why we have to raise the prominence of this issue. We cannot let it go. We cannot walk on, walk away from everything they did in those hospitals. Nothing matters. We're all going to need medical care at some point, and you cannot have life and liberty with a system the way it is. So again, purchase it. So many of you have purchased copies for your legislators. Um, If any of you are a generous donor and you want to adopt a a state, um, you know, maybe, you know, Freedom Caucus members in your state legislature, uh, let me know. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Folks, we're still not done this week. We have another special doctor on tomorrow and much, much more on many other issues. Make this your one-stop shop of truth and knowledge. Till then, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.